brotherly kiss comes. Anyway, thank you again. Um, the New Testament reading. Cheers. Well, um, now I need everyone to uh, just work out the person beside them. Now, I was at the Christian Schools Association conference on Monday of this week, and the speaker there was wonderful and uh, pointed out that as he got people to just ask questions or talk to the people beside them, he said, sitting beside you is either someone you like or someone you don't like. So you can go one way or the other. But anyway, I'll leave it up to you as to whether... Because he then said, if the person beside you is your partner or your spouse, that may present a problem, but because it may be someone you like or you don't like, but that's, um, that's a different issue. So what I want you to do is turn to the person beside you and bow, or the person behind you. Can you do a bow? Can you do a bow? Nice bow. That's cool. Bow. Lovely. Um, now, the same person, can you um, uh, do a high five or a handshake or something like that? You know, just... Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. The next bit, the, the, the kiss bit, we're not going to do. But um, uh, so some alternative um, uh, titles for this sermon were uh, King's Family and Covenant Friends. But also uh, I like the title, um, the, In the Court of the King, In the Wilderness or oneness, because really we're dealing with um, some wilderness experience of David in this situation. And the question I want to pose to you is legacy. What is the legacy you hope to leave behind you? What is that legacy we want to leave behind us as a church, St. Barnabas? Um, What will assure the legacy That is left because, again, in these characters uh, of Saul and Jonathan and David, they're very central questions. We have in the story uh, last week, we ended the story with the king Saul on his face at Ramah in front of the prophet Samuel, completely naked, prophesying. And Stephen pointed out it was a fairly you know, an uh, inauspicious place for the king to find himself. Although, you know, in, caught up in the presence of the Lord and, and prophesying his, his praise is something that's not inappropriate for the king to do at all, is it? But it sounds like it became somewhat of a joke or a, a byword of, dis- of uh, embarrassment for David, uh, sorry, for uh, Saul. David, on the other hand, ends our story on his knees, bowed down to his brother, Jonathan, his brother, so to speak, his beloved friend, his covenant friend. And he's in the exact place where a king should be, engaged in faithful fellowship and obedience to the Lord. We have in this story a king who's no longer behaving like a king and no longer showing the faithfulness to the Lord that he needed to do. We have a king in waiting in David who's been anointed but is in this now but not yet time, a bit like we find ourselves historically speaking. He's not going to become king for some time but he's faithful and 
as we read in the next chapters, he does nothing. Over and over again, he's given the chance to grasp or to try and fast track his moment to become king. He never does it. He remains faithful. He remains faithful to the injunction, do not touch the Lord's anointed. He behaves in that way, even as he is the Lord's anointed. He is faithful. And in this episode we've seen, it's actually an episode of great intrigue. I imagine it, you know, as we might see a film done in the thriller style um, that we are familiar with because we have uh, David knowing that the king wants him dead. Jonathan initially not so sure. David has been um, the object of the king's jealousy since killing Goliath and coming in and remember the song, King Saul has his thousands, the women sang apparently when they returned, but David has his tens of thousands. And we read in uh, chapter 18, Saul was livid. How dare they exalt David higher than me? And things went pear-shaped pretty much from that time. But David is reinstated into the courtly um, role regularly because the king needs him to restore his troubled spirit as David sings his songs and psalms um, using his gifting from the Lord to minister to King Saul. And so we have David showing great faithfulness and David and Jonathan established their friendship back in chapter 18. It says, uh, Saul kept David with him from that day on, did not let him go home to his father's house. We have, we have uh, David transferring from his father Jesse's house to the kingly court. He's going to be raised now. He's going to learn the ways of the court. He's a shepherd. He has much to learn. Things are done differently in the court. There is power. There is prestige. There is authority. David meets Jonathan. Jonathan and David made an agreement. Jonathan made an agreement with David because he loved David as much as himself. The New King James says, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Here we have another king-in-waiting, Jonathan, potentially, undressing, but giving it as a gift, as a covenant gift to his, his covenant friend. And Saul sent David to fight in different battles. Now we have Saul sending David off to get killed. You know, At one time he says, I, I need you to bring back uh, the foreskins of a hundred Philistines, thinking that'll get him killed. Well, it doesn't. God, he has God's favor. And he continues to be faithful and continues to complete what Saul asks him to do. Now, Jonathan is potentially in line for the throne. But Jonathan is, a, is masterful and, and, and majestic in his obedience and his faithfulness. He acknowledges David's the choice of David by the Lord. And so we have in this chapter the, the long conversation between David and Jonathan negotiating that very fact. Because Jonathan knows that if David is to become king, what is the first thing that a new king does? And it was established in that 
time in history that although kings were new to God's people, they were well established in that time in history. And Jonathan knew the first thing a new king does is remove the offspring of the former king because that cuts off that line of threat. Jonathan knows that's... And, and so he appeals to David, will you, will you maintain our covenant friendship with my household, with my family? And he does that. And Jonathan is willing, shows his faithfulness to David. He says, I will do whatever it is you ask. I will follow you. Because there are spies everywhere. And that's why they have to do this whole thing in the field and you know, they have to make sure they're not seen um, to, be, to be plotting against the king. What, what's the... What's the uh, result of plotting against the king? It's death. So Jonathan puts himself in great danger in order to fulfill God's chosen one for, for the role of king. And this faithfulness is blessed by God. It serves the legacy. When I think about covenant relationships, I think back to the story of Ruth. Ruth being David's grandmother and her kinsman redeemer. Uh, Boaz and again in that story we have the the situation where Ruth may have been sent away she may have been you know Boaz may have she acts uh, quite boldly to secure the favor of Boaz as her kinsman redeemer and he accepts that and lo and behold you know further down David becomes part of the story here Jonathan could have said, no. If you read it, Saul is asking Jonathan to help him trap David. But Jonathan is faithful to David, fulfills God's big picture plan, and the result is that David's kingship is assured. David spends a long time in the wilderness. There's a long time. Rob Callingford uh, preached a a number of years ago here that the gap between Abraham's uh, covenant promise from God and the fulfillment of that, it, it takes time. There's a long time between David's anointing and David becoming king. But David is faithful. And we know David wasn't faithful throughout his whole career. He made some terrible missteps and uh, I'm sure we'll get to them in time. But he's remembered as a man after God's own heart. What a tremendous legacy. What a tremendous legacy for us to um, aspire to. Jesus was happy to associate uh, himself with the kingship of David. Of course, in, da- in Jesus' time, people wa- wanted the return of a king like David, a warrior king who could kick out the Romans. And look at Jesus. Even though they didn't have much in the way of uh, technology to beat this incredible Roman army, if you've got a, a king who can raise the dead, who can heal the sick, and who can feed people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, thousands, you've got an army that's not able to be defeated. So you can see as people hailed Jesus, Hosanna to the son of David, they were hoping, many, that he would reinstate the kingdom the way David had established the kingdom, the wonderful golden era of God's people. And yet, Jesus was a new kind of king with a new kind of covenant where peace, where his love, his sacrifice was going to be the means of our connectedness to God. And as much as 
People struggled to understand that. Jesus stayed true to that. So the wilderness is where David found himself. And I want to suggest to you that we will find ourselves in the wilderness at times in our lives. It will happen um, maybe for a short time, maybe for a long time. In uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, the wilderness is rich in its, what it means uh, when it's referred to in the Bible. It can be a threatening place, a place of demons or darkness or danger. It can be a place of sanctuary and refuge, as it is for David. In this case, he's hiding. We get the sense that David really knows how to make his way in the wilderness. He was a shepherd. He knows how to survive. And some commentators suggest that he wrote many of his psalms during this kind of time where he spends a lot of time hiding. And the one that Jeff led us off is, has the heading, you know, the psalm of David from the wilderness. And he talks about being thirsty for God. He talks about, you know, other psalms pick up imagery he, he would have looked at and seen. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And this connectedness that David was able to find, even in the wilderness, I believe served him to be the king who would be after God's own heart. Same way Jesus' ministry, where Jesus, at one time, they wanted to make him king by force. But he said, no, that's not. Have you seen in political climate and, and happenings any time recently someone who didn't want to be king or didn't want to be prime minister or president? It doesn't tend to happen all that much, you know. We seem to have the opposite problem, people not wanting to let go of uh, a role. You know, there's this ability to wait on God and allow God to move us through. Now, when the wilderness is, is a challenge, and, you know, I, I know for us as a community and for us individually, there are moments when it, we're in that dry place and it's a place of struggle. And it's wonderful that we can support one another in that place. I really encourage you to not go through that wilderness of struggle alone. That's going to be one of my challenges today. Because if we, sometimes it comes upon us when we're not expecting. For many of you know the story, but for my wife Nikki and, and I, um, things were going pretty smoothly. Three and a half years ago, our son gets a diagnosis of anorexia we knew he was growing faster than you know he could keep up with, with what he was eating we did not anticipate uh, him becoming unwell um, he was in hospital for 10 weeks 11 weeks um, by God's grace the prayers of many of you the loving kindness of many of you he's well he's great he's working as a nurse in a hospital helping others who are recovering we did not see that coming. We were surprised. We, you know, we thank God that uh, he led us through that wilderness. It was a wilderness I would not wish upon anybody ever, anytime. But if we can stay true when the, when the wilderness is a threatening one and press into God and press into the supports he puts in our lives, as difficult as it can be we can get through and it is a we um, Winston Churchill said if you're going through hell keep going 
when things are difficult, we don't have to walk that journey alone. The reading from the New Testament I chose because Jesus took his disciples with him to pray. And then he asked Peter, James, and John to go the little bit, bit further. And earlier on, um, before the garden, he's praying, it, recorded in John chapter 17. It's an amazing prayer that he allows his disciples to hear. I encourage you to study it. I've been looking at it in, de- in depth, and I hope to do something creative, dramatic with it, because I believe that single chapter is proof that Jesus is who he said he was, is, that he is Lord. Because at the point facing torture, facing death, one commentator pointed out it wasn't the physical torture that uh, caused Jesus to ask, you know, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me knowing he would be separated from God, knowing that he would undergo that separation. On our behalf, it is impossible for us to fully imagine. Um, but, you know, he, even facing that, he, his prayer is for us. If you look at John chapter 17, his prayer is, let them be one as we are one. I don't think in the garden it, it was, um, you know, the darkest hour, but... There's joy leading up to that. He says, Lord, let them be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. He's connected to the Father. He has the fellowship of oneness with the Father that will sustain him. And that's what he's won for us. Whatever the wilderness is that we will face. And it will enable us to have a legacy that's not dependent on our performance. I really want to encourage you on that basis. To give you two quick examples of that, one is from David's life and one is from the Apostle Paul's. And these examples have been huge encouragement to me because they remind us that even these great champions of faith didn't have it all at their disposal for understanding. David, later in the story, wants to build the temple when he is king and things are going great and the kingdom is engaged in trade and there's wealth and you know this is the glory days that Israel will later look back to and he wants to build the temple and why shouldn't God have a temple his his psalms talk about the presence of the Lord and wanting to be in the in the house of the Lord forever he wants to build the temple as a as a worldwide witness to God it doesn't happen it wasn't for him to do King Solomon built the temple but David being faithful in the wilderness, writing the songs, recording his prayers to God, wrote most of the book of Psalms. And we have a temple of praise that is eternal, that has never and will never go away. This is eternal. When Jesus returns, the Bible will be here, and uh, his word is eternal. So David, without knowing, fulfilled a much greater plan than he could have even imagined by his faithfulness, by God's using that faithfulness. Paul was the the apostle to the Gentiles. And, you know, we read early in the book of Acts of his uh, disdain for God's people. God calls him, saves him, purifies him, prepares him, and he engages in the missionary journeys. And he wants to preach to the whole known world. And he's up for it. He goes through shipwreck and loss and struggle and trial and nothing can stop him. And he knows, you know, occasionally the Holy Spirit, you know, 
gives, makes it clear he's not to go into that place. has to be let out of, uh, out of cities at night, you know, out through baskets. He's will, willing to do it all. Lord, let me preach to the whole known world. He ends up in house arrest in Rome, cooling his heels, wondering what God has in mind. Because you can't do a lot of preaching to the whole known world when you're under house arrest. He had to send messages. People came and, and, and went. They didn't have Facebook or social media, so people had to deliver messages by hand on paper, paper whatever they used. The letters got sent to the churches. The letters were very precious to the churches. Thankfully, a lot of the churches kept the letters. Uh, most of the New Testament is under the authorship of Paul. Well, it's under the authorship of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but Paul was the human vehicle. He didn't know he was writing most of the New Testament when he was sending letters to the new churches. God had a bigger plan. God had a bigger picture. That's my belief for all of us. God knows the big picture. We don't always see the big picture. They didn't. We can trust. It's our job to be faithful. When we're in the wilderness, when we're in the court of the king, we get to be in the court of the, the eternal king, you know, and, and we're not sent away from his presence because of what, what he did on our behalf. So this covenant friendship that exists between David and Jonathan is described in one translation as the kindness of the Lord, the new King James. Jonathan used the same Hebrew word meaning covenant loyalty that David had used earlier. Both Jonathan and David were appealing to their covenant of friendship as a basis for acts of kindness. Whatever the outcome of the rift between Saul and David, Jonathan appealed to David to protect his own life and the lives of his descendants. Jonathan knew that David would take the throne. And he was willing to accept that and honor that as God's plan. And so this kindness of the Lord, this, this covenant friendship. Now, um, again, you know, one covenant relationship we engage in is marriage. Uh, you know, that's a modern day version of a covenant relationship. Interestingly enough, you know, being debated about what it means and, 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 and uh, what, what its implications are. I want to suggest to you, well, I did say to Nikki this morning, looking at this covenant relationship between David and Jonathan, should we suggest that husbands and wives bow three times to one another before they uh, um, greet one another? We're, we're going to try that, see how it goes. Um, but uh, I want to suggest that there is another covenant relationship, and this is which will assist us in our idea of legacy. And it's uh, the idea of a prayer partnership and, or prayer triplet. There's various ways that it can operate. But I want to suggest to you that um, a really good practice for us as, as Christians is to engage in a prayer partnership with one, two, or at the most three others. Um, I think if you go beyond four, it gets hard to... I'm, I'm suggesting a, a, a prayer time of regular construct that enables people to be as transparent as we are able as transparent as we are able nikki and i believe in counseling for maintenance purposes in marriage and we were with a, a counselor um a couple of years ago and uh, we were reflecting on something uh, i think i was trying to point out that 
things that Nikki had said earlier in our relationship didn't quite match up with things that have ha- happened more recently. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I don't know. He, he put it really well. He said, oh, yeah, but when we're falling in love, we lie. We lie. Everyone lies. We, put, we always put the best version of ourselves out there. And that's, you know, it's part of us, but it's, you know, the, the aspirational part, I guess. Anyway, well, and, and we're called to grow in this. Uh, my, my belief is God gives us marriage to fast-track growth. But, um, well, that's one of the greatest purposes, not only. Um, but, uh, and it does, and then we don't like that idea so much. But, uh, well, as it, you know, it's, it becomes a challenge as well as a joy. And, and that's the point of a prayer partnership, because we need to have people who can challenge us and not lead us to the insecurity. Saul is acting out of insecurity over and over again. He's throwing spears at his son. That scene in the, in the New Moon Festival, it's an embarrassing scene. His son, you know, is dodging spears. It's not the only time he throws spears at people. Um, I want to suggest to you that uh, a, a, if a friend is a gift you give yourself, a prayer partner is, again, a, a person who can speak into our lives. We allow to speak into our lives uh, in a godly way and invite we pray, pray for that person, they'll pray for us. We'll tell them our stories, our struggles, our hurts, our hopes. And we'll, do this, we'll listen to theirs. And like the relationship of a, of, you know, um, a covenant relationship, like our relationship with God, it's not performance-based. It's, you know, I'm not going to get it right all the time. I'm not, there's no performance-based remuneration in this relationship. It is a grace relationship. Um, we, we sang earlier, praise God. Praise him for his grace and favor. God offers us grace and favor because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we do. And so, yeah, I really encourage you. Um, my first prayer partnership was when I was living and studying in America uh, not long after I became a Christian. And that was a wonderful experience. We were, I was part of a Christian Actors Fellowship, and there was a couple of us who met, and everyone was encouraged to have a prayer partner. Um, when I came to Perth, I was part of St. Columba's Church in Scarborough, and there were four of us who would meet down the beach one day a week. And um, I'd sometimes take my guitar, sometimes not. And one of the people who was there was um, Richard Pengelly, who some of you will know, because he's currently the Dean of Perth uh, in charge of the cathedral. Beautiful man, lovely man. At the time, he was a phys ed teacher at Hale, and um, he was praying about whether or not he should apply and, and seek to be the chaplain at Hale, which was noble and wonderful, but a bit unorthodox because to be the chaplain at Hale School, like any Anglican school, typically you're a priest, and he wasn't a priest. He was a phys ed teacher. And so how was that going to work, and did, was that God's plan, and what's God saying in all of that? And John Inverarity, the then um, principal of Hale, was a great man able to hear from God, and they composed a wonderful way of him being able to be kind of chaplain and priest in training at the same time and his career in the church and serving the church has been long and wonderful and he's now interestingly enough at the time he was struggling a bit because his father was um, from a high church background associated with the cathedral at St. Columbus we're experiencing renewal there was we were doing happy clappy songs we were there was all sorts of stuff going on and so he you know he's trying to put these together and now, all these years later, he's dean of the cathedral. God has a great sense of humor. We love it. Um, 
many of you know the story. Uh, Stephen was working with us, my wife and I, in performing arts in the mid-1990s. Towards uh, the end of several years working with us, he was a wonderful actor, as you can guess. Um, he said, I think I feel called to be a minister. We said, that's, you know, we prayed with him and, and it was a very exciting time. And someone said, wouldn't it be great if you came back as minister of St. Barnabas? And then we, we laughed and said, that'll never happen. Because, of course, you train and study in all sorts of different places. He went to Canada. He was spent a lot of time in Melbourne. The likelihood of coming back here and not being called somewhere else that made it not possible was very great. But God has his ways. God can, can move wonderfully. So... Um, I want to encourage you. Many of you probably already have a prayer partnership. Great. Keep going. Don't stop. If you have or haven't, I, what, as I reflected on this this week, I realized I'd let mine lapse. Um, not least because in that time in the wilderness, um, you know, it, things got difficult. Um, I'd be working and go to the hospital and get home at 11.30 at night and get up and do it again. And there wasn't, you know, it's just a blur. But, I mean, over the, over the journey, I've continued to pray with Stephen regularly. But uh, I was prayer partner with Peter de Blanc um, for lots of years. And we'd walk around like Munger and have, have great talks. So I realized, you know, if I was going to present this as a challenge to you, I better sort that out. So Peter and I caught up. And uh, I apologized for being a rubbish prayer partner. And uh, we um, had a, a wonderful um, reboot. We're kicking off a reboot. Because uh, my life now, I think I, there's one day a week I can leave school early at least. And we'll try and work out a time. So I encourage you to find someone who you can, you know, it's the, that bearing of our soul. Obviously, we do that with the Lord, you know. And he's the first person and that we, we need to open. And, and that's the other reason. You know, it's well known. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, I believe, because they were able to have a very close, if not prayer partnership, some kind of, you know, there's Peter, James, and John who 